Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you out this morning. As Chris said in class, I am not Leonard. So if you came expecting to hear Brother Leonard this morning, you're going to be disappointed. But it is a pleasure and an honor to stand in front of you, present to you a portion of God's Word. I ask you to please bear with me this morning. Of course, Lori and I have been sick the last couple of weeks. And even though we're doing much better, it appears that a uh, throat irritation has decided to descend on both of us. So anytime we talk, we want to cough, which has made for great conversations at home, by the way. Um, so I am on cough drops, I'm on water, I gargled some salt water between class and service to try to get through this, so we'll see how far we get this morning. But it is a privilege and an honor to be able to stand before you. I thank the congregation here for that opportunity. It's always a pleasure to proclaim God's Word. We see here in this passage of Scripture that Cortez read for us, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9, that we have a sentence of death in ourselves. And we see this in the in God's Word where without God, without the salvation that He provides, we would be dead spiritually. We rely upon God. And it's a reminder that we need to have at times in our lives. I think... Obviously, when we're trying to convert those to Christ, we try to show them that they need God. That God needs to be a part of their lives. But sometimes as Christians, we get caught up in the day-to-day life. We get caught up in thou shalt not and, and, and you know everything that we think that we're supposed to do. And we forget that we are reliant. Upon God. The fact of the matter is, is we do need God. And if you have your Bibles, turn over to Acts chapter 17. Because Paul, in this reading in Acts chapter 17, beginning in verse 24, he's in Athens. And he sees a city that is wholly given over to idols. And of course, these are actual physical idols that he has is seen. Graven images set up around this city. And even though we don't typically set up graven images that we worship today, we do have idols in our life. We talked about this a little bit in class this morning. That we put things in front of God. And beginning in verse 24 of Acts chapter 17, Paul says, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that He is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worshipped with men's hands as though He needed anything, seeing He giveth to all life and breath and all things, and hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth, and hath determined the time before appointed and the bounds of their habitation, that they should seek the Lord, if haply they might feel after Him and find Him, though He be not far from every one of us. 
For in Him we live and move and have our being, as certain also of your own poets have said, for we are also His offspring. For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone, graven by art and man's device. In the times of this ignorant God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent, because He hath appointed a day in the which He will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom He hath ordained, whereof He hath given assurance unto all men, in that He hath raised Him from the dead. So we see here that God is telling, or Paul is telling them, there is a God. He is alive. In Him we live. And it's in Him that we survive. God transcends humanity and reigns over us, whether we want to admit it or not. He is our Creator. We're told in the Bible that He formed us in the womb. Do you realize that He formed us? He gave us all of our potential at the moment of conception. So whether we want to give Him any credit for what we do in this life, the fact that we are even here is because of God. And we see that this Creator of the universe has reached out to us as fallen humanity, fallen through sin. And He's reached out to us through His Son. And we see that there's going to be a day, according to this reading that we just did, when we're all going to come together before God and be judged by His Son. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. There's a day coming when we're going to be judged for what we say and do on this earth. And if you think about it, we talk a lot about preparing for that day. We have invitation songs that asks, have we prepared for that day? Here's the, here's the kicker. We can't prepare for that day on our own. We can't get ready for that day on our own. We need God. We need His Word. We need to follow the plan that He has laid out for us in order to prepare for that day. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So, none of us are without sin. None of us have fallen. We need direction. We need guidance. We need instruction and correction. And above all that, we need forgiveness. Now, the question that we might ask is, what can we do on our own to take care of our sin problem? That's a common question that humans ask themselves no matter what problem they face. If you're driving home this morning from services and you have car trouble, 
The first question that's going to pop in your head is, what can I do about this problem? Many of us would get out and pop the hood and scratch our head and go, what is wrong with this thing? Well, we have a sin problem that we can't rely on ourselves to take care of. Isaiah chapter 59, verse 1 says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save. Neither his ear heavy, that it cannot hear. But your iniquities has separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you, that he will not hear. Have you ever thought about when you go to God in prayer that you're going to the Creator of the universe? What a wonderful blessing we have that we can go to God in prayer and talk to the Almighty, the Creator of everything. You know, the Bible teaches us that no matter how big this universe is, God is bigger than that. And in fact, that that's the reason He gave us the universe is to show us His handiwork, to show us how powerful that He is. And we have the opportunity to go to that God in prayer. And we need Him to help us solve our sin problem. Because when we ask ourselves that question, what can I do? What answer can I possibly give on my own? What solution can I find on my own to that problem? No matter what solution I try to come up with, the sin is still there. It's still part of my past. It's still written in that book that's going to be opened on the Day of Judgment. Because I need God. And as I said, sometimes we try to be self-reliant. We try to rely on ourselves. And because of that, and especially in a society that is so bent on being self-reliant, we see people who struggle with this. We have this concept of working hard and being honest in our hard work and earning what we have. And we try to apply that in every aspect of our lives. Now, it's commendable to be a hard worker. It's commendable to be honest in your work. It's commendable to come from circumstances that weren't the best and to overcome and rise above that and persevere and triumph. But here's something we have to know and we have to understand. That we cannot work our way into heaven. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8 says, For by the grace are ye saved through faith, and not of, not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. We can't do this alone. We can't strike out to solve this sin problem alone. We have to realize that we are reliant on the grace of God. And through that grace, the gift of salvation that He provides. And obviously, there's things that we have to do. There's individual accountability that falls to us as followers of Christ. Romans chapter 14, verse 12 says, So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. We're going to stand before the judge and we're going to give an account of what we've said and done in this life. 
And yes, when it comes to salvation, when it comes to getting into heaven, we don't have the ability to earn that. We don't have the ability to do so much that when we stand in front of that judge, we can point our finger at him and say, Father, you must give it to me. We have to be willing to understand and accept the fact that we are reliant on God for that grace and for that salvation. And if you think about it, it doesn't even make sense. When you look at the Gospel, it doesn't make sense to think, I can do this on my own. Because basically what we're telling God and His Son is that Jesus didn't have to die on the cross. That what He did at Calvary was unnecessary because I can earn, I can work my way into heaven. What Jesus did on the cross was necessary. What Jesus did on the cross by giving Himself a sacrifice for you and me was necessary. We're told in the New Testament that the bloods of bulls and goats... Blood has always been required to atone for sin from the beginning. And it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take that sin away. So we see that this is a gift from God. We can't earn ourselves there, but we do have some responsibility. There are things that we have to do. And the opposite of what we're talking about with trying to earn our way into heaven and work our way into heaven is the other extreme where we think there's nothing we have to do. We're entitled to salvation because after all, raise your hand if you ask to be here on this earth. None of us asked to be here, did we? But that doesn't entitle us to salvation from our sins. We have personal responsibility. There are things that we have to do in order to receive this gift of salvation. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Philippians 2.12 Therefore, my beloved, as you have also obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Galatians 5, beginning in verse 16. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. So even if we feel like salvation is something God owes to us, it's not true. And while we have to be careful with certain attitudes... We have to be careful with thinking that we can approach salvation any way that we want to. We need to understand one thing. 
God doesn't owe us anything. He doesn't owe us anything. What He makes available to you and I is because of His goodness, His love, His grace. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world, and He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever should believe in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. You see, there are those that believe that Salvation is universal. It's just granted to everyone. Or that it's granted to you if you're a good person. You know, there's a lot of examples in the New Testament of good people. And guess what? In every one of those cases, those good people had to obey the Gospel and be buried in the watery grave of baptism in order to be saved. No, salvation is not simply granted to us. It's made available to us. And it, it's human arrogance, excuse me, human arrogance to think that one of these extremes, I gotta work my way to heaven, or there's nothing I can do, God's just gonna give it to me. It's human arrogance that causes people to believe those types of teachings. And then we have to be careful that we don't get caught up close to one of those two extremes. Because sometimes it's easy to minimize the concept of personal responsibility and what the proper response to God is in this gift of salvation that He is offering to us. There is a proper response. There is a proper way to accept that gift. So even though you can't do it on your own. You have to rely on God. And at the same time, it's not just granted to you. You're not entitled to it. We find that middle ground. We find that middle ground where we're asking, how do I respond to the Creator of the world who has made this salvation available to every living person. Every person that's ever lived, every person that's going to live. What is that response that He's looking for from me? Well, first of all, there is a proper response to God. Because as we talked about already, there are all these ways that men want to approach God. And, and, and we try to impose our own will on God. We can't say to God, I'll come to you, God. I'll ask for your salvation as long as you give it to me the way I want it given to me. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12 says, There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Lori was just telling me about a conversation she recently had with someone who the topic was deathbed confessions. And they were looking at the thief on the cross as an example of a deathbed confession that saved an individual. Well, first of all, we have to be careful when we start applying 
somebody laying on their deathbed to being crucified next to the Savior of the universe. And we also have to be careful to remember what dispensation that happened in. You see, men want to approach God their way. I can live any way I want and then at the end say, God, I'm sorry, and I'll be alright. There's, there's a way that seemeth right to a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. If he, or Isaiah chapter 55, beginning in verse 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. You know, if I was in charge of who was saved and who didn't get to save, I might choose a different way. Because God here is telling me, your ways are not my ways. So, how do we... Respond. How do we approach God when it comes to this gift of salvation that He is giving to us? Well, we have to find out what that way is that He wants us to come to Him and not rely on ourselves to try to come up with some other way. You see, we sometimes like to be like the little kid on the ball diamond that brought the ball And if you don't play to the way the rules that he wants to play, he's going to take the ball and go home and then nobody gets to play. Sometimes we're like that with God. We come to God and say, God, I want to come to you this way. I want to obey you this way. I want to do this in your name. And we see the results of that. Thousands and thousands of denominations gathering together this morning like we're doing in any way that they want to do. Any way that that seems right to man. Oh, if we build a huge building and we have a rock band on stage and the minister rides a motorcycle out onto the stage, then we'll get thousands and thousands of people in attendance. There's a way that seems right unto man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Rock bands and auditoriums and... Preachers riding in on motorcycles aren't going to save you. We don't get to make the rules up as we go along. If you ever played a sport with somebody who is making the rules up as they go along, I remember years ago we used to play flag football. And there was a couple of guys who, you know, if the if they punted and you muffed the punt, nope, you can't advance a muff punt. And then they would muff a punt and suddenly they're running for a touchdown. We all have to play by the same rules. And when it comes to our spirituality, when it comes to right and wrong, and we start trying to set our own rules, that's when we get into trouble. I said earlier, life begins at conception based on what God says. He formed me in the womb. He formed you in the womb. And when man starts to try to rewrite those rules, we see the chaos that ensues. Life doesn't begin until the first trimester is over. Life doesn't begin until they're born. Life doesn't begin until we decide to give that baby care even after birth. That's how far men have gone. To where some will even argue that you shouldn't give medical attention to a baby that's been born. 
When we get away from the rules according to God's Word, that's when we get ourselves into trouble. That's when we need to look back at the Word and say, how does God want me to respond? How does God want me to be reliant upon Him? What are the responsibilities He has given unto me? So how should we respond? How should we respond? Well, the Bible gives us that answer, doesn't it? Romans 10.17 So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Sometimes we concentrate on the hearing there. You're hearing me this morning. But guess what? It's not you hearing the words coming out of Stephen's mouth. It's the words that I repeat from God's Word. That's what you need to hear. God's Word. Hear the Word of God. And then we see that from that hearing, belief comes. John 8, 24, I said therefore unto you, ye shall die in your sins. For if you believe not that I am He, ye shall die in your sins. We have to believe in Jesus Christ or we're going to die in our sins. And how does that belief come? It comes from hearing, from reading, from studying the Word of God. Luke chapter 13.3 says, I tell you nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. We have to be repentant of the sin that is in our lives. And notice, that's more than just being sorry for it. But it's resolving to do that sin no longer. Does that mean we have to be perfect? Does that mean we can, we're never going to fall short of, of God again? No. But it means we're striving to avoid sin. We're striving not to give in to temptation. Matthew chapter 10, verse 32, Whosoever therefore shall confess Me before men, him will I confess before My Father which is in heaven. We have to confess our faith in Christ with our mouth, verbally, so that all can hear. And then Acts chapter 22, verse 16, And now why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. We see here that baptism, water baptism, is necessary and essential. And it must be done according to the Scriptures. Romans chapter 6, verse 4 says, Therefore we are buried with Him by baptism into death. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. Baptism is a full immersion. It's not a sprinkling. It's not a pouring. It's not taking a baby that doesn't know right from wrong and baptizing them. No. It is understanding what we are doing and doing it according to God's Word. Yet we see so many that ignore this approach that God has laid out for us in the New Testament for coming to the salvation that He freely provides. We see so many that fight against it. Far too many argue about the specifics 
even though it's laid out there right in God's Word for all to read and to understand. So we should be relying on God and relying on His Word and doing our best to do our part. How arrogant it would be to stand before God on the Day of Judgment. And there's been people who said they're going to do this. They're going to stand in front of God on the Day of Judgment and say, I didn't like the way you said do it, dear Heavenly Father. So I did it my own way and you have to accept that. You know, the Bible says that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess when we stand before our judge on the Day of Judgment. That arrogance is going to go right out the window. Now real quickly, I want to take a look at a a quick example because one of the things that you hear when you talk to people about the response that we should give to the Gospel is they say, well, I don't see that in Scripture. I see John 3.16 and they misquote it and say, whosoever believeth in Jesus shall not perish. That's not what that verse says. It says should not perish. Because there's once you believe, there are things that are going to, you're going to be motivated to do. So in Acts chapter 8, beginning in verse 26, we have an example. And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure and had come to Jerusalem for to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot, read Esaias the prophet. Then the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Esaias and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, How can I except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. And the place of the Scripture which he read was this, He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb dumb before his shearer, so opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation his judgment was taken away. Who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this, of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same Scripture and preached unto him Jesus. And as they went on their way, they came into a certain water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still. And they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they were come out upon the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. So we see this example of this response that we just talked about. We see that the eunuch here, the Ethiopian eunuch, heard the Word. He was reading the Old Testament prophecies. And then he said, who is this that this prophet is talking about? And Philip then preached unto him the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Faith cometh by hearing. Romans 10.17 And then we see that he believed. And this is evidenced by his recognition that he needed to be baptized. When he asked, what doth hindereth... Here's water. 
We're driving up next to this water. What hindereth me from being baptized? And then we see by inference that he was willing to repent of his sins. Now the narrative doesn't tell us specifically he, repent, he was willing to repent of his sins or he, he understood that he had sin. But in his heart, he was convicted of his need to take care of the problem of sin in his own life, evidenced by his recognition that he needed to be baptized. Philip had just preached Jesus unto him and taught him Jesus died for your sins, shed His blood, and you come into contact with that blood through baptism. And he recognized his need to be buried in the watery grave of baptism, just like we read about in Acts chapter 22, verse 16, to wash away his sin. And then we see that he confessed his belief in Jesus as the Son of God. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Every one of us that has been obedient to the Gospel has made that great confession. And I urge you this morning, if you've never done that, consider making that great confession this morning. And then we see that the chariot was stopped at the body of water that the Ethiopian eunuch pointed out. And he was immersed in baptism. How do we know it was immersion? Well, notice they both went down into the water. Why would Philip have had to go down into the water with him if he wasn't going to immerse him? If he was just going to take some water and sprinkle it on his head or pour it over his head? Why would he have gone down into the water with the eunuch? And notice, there are scholars that have said that this Man, this Ethiopian eunuch would have been traveling with water. He probably would have had containers of water right there in his chariot. But that wasn't even an option that they considered. It wasn't even a question of what kind of baptism he needed. And you know, I often thought about this when we talked about people who push back against this proper response to the gospel hear, believe, repent, confess, and be baptized. But if you get someone to understand how important the gospel is, that they are lost and that they are dying and they're dead in their sins, you won't be able to keep them out of the water. They'll run towards it. If you can convict them in their heart the way that Philip was able to convict this Ethiopian in his heart through the reading of God's Word. And notice the Ethiopian went on his way rejoicing. He recognized the importance of what he had just done. He recognized the necessity of what he had just done. He recognized that by accepting God's Word and responding to it the way that God wanted him to respond to it, it was joyful. Because what happens to us in this life isn't important, is it? None of this matters if on the day of judgment we hear from our judge, depart from me, I never knew you. So we have an example here of this response that we just looked at in God's Word. To hear the Word, 
to believe that Jesus is the Son of God, to be willing to repent of your sins and confess His name with your mouth and to be buried in the watery grave of baptism. And I implore you this morning, if you've never done that this morning, to please consider it before it's everlastingly too late. As I said earlier, there's going to come a day when every knee shall bow, when every tongue shall confess. But guess what? On that day, it'll be too late. Whether that day for you is the end of your life on this earth, or whether that day for you is Jesus returning in the clouds to call us home, at that point it will be too late to say, okay, God, I'm ready. I'm ready to respond to You the way that You said I should. I'm willing to hear You. I'm willing to believe You. I'm willing to repent of my sins and confess Your Son's name and be buried in the watery grave of baptism. It will be too late on that day. So do it now. And if you've already done this and you've allowed your life to slip back into the world, you can take care of that this morning as well. If you're subject to this invitation in any way, come forward now as together we stand and as we sing.